Last week, we were shown a treasure chest. And Mike did an excellent job of going to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and explaining the treasures that lie in that section of text. He talked to us about a scroll that proclaims peace. And he talked to us about a golden key that we might gain access to the grace of God. And he showed us a diamond that shines bright and vivid, reflecting hope unto us. He talked about a cocoon showing patience and tribulation and, and how that results in great character for those who are in Christ. He showed us a costly perfume of love that God has poured out on us. And then we looked at a map that shows that the way of the cross leads home. And the last treasure he showed us was a song, a song like Love Lifted Me, and how when we sing that song, we can greatly rejoice. And those are the types of lessons that I love because it deepens my love for God. When I think about all the things and consider all the things he's done for us, it just strengthens me in the inside. It, it, it makes me just grow in my love and appreciation for God. And that's what I want to do this morning with the idea of forgiveness. And I'm not going to be able to put a picture of forgiveness up there on the screen for you this morning. But I would like for you to do, as we go through our lesson this morning, is I want you to paint a picture in your mind. A picture in your mind of forgiveness. And we're going to use the four C's as we go through our lesson to kind of help us paint that picture as we think on these things this morning. The first thing that we want to cover in our picture, or the first thing we want to visualize, is the case for forgiveness. When we think about what forgiveness is, it's a pardoning. It is a release from guilt. It carries with it the idea of no resentment, of no grudge. It even has the idea of Passover attached to it, forgiveness. And that's something that we all desire. But there has to be something there for there to be forgiveness, and that is sin. If there was no sin in the world, we would have no need of forgiveness. But that is the case for forgiveness that we're going to look at this morning, this idea of sin. And we want to look at what sin is. Now, you can think of the illustration of a parent talking to a child, and the parent gives the instructions to the child for them to go out and do a certain task. The child either refuses to do it, doesn't hear, or just totally ignores the, the, the instructions given to them. We have a problem, and that problem is sin. They have gone against what the parent has instructed them to do. That puts those two people at odds in their relationship. In 1 John 3 and 4, it says that sin is lawlessness. At the very essence of sin is when we do not do the things that God has given us to do. That is sin. 
when we open up his good book and we read of the things that he would have us to do and the kind of people he would have us to be, and we don't do those things, we have committed sin. Because it goes against what our Father has instructed us to do. Where did it begin? Most of us know that sin began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. When they transgressed the commandment of God to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We know that's where sin began. Paul does an amazing job in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 of kind of summing up this idea of where did sin begin. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin entered the world through one man. And through that one man's sin, death was ushered in. Before the sin in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. It wasn't until they had sinned and they had realized their sin that they knew that something wasn't right. But as we paint this image of the case for forgiveness, I want us to look at our sin. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 3 and 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to realize that we fall into that category. We can't fall into the sin doesn't exist. And we have no need of forgiveness. But we all need forgiveness because we all have sinned. But this is the point that I want to focus on a little bit more deeply this morning. I think those first two, we pretty well understand what sin is and where sin started. But I want to focus on what does sin do? And let's go to Psalm 38 and let's read David here in the Psalm 38 verses 1 through 11. I want to read that for us. And I want you to get the image that David is projecting from this psalm of how sin has affected him in his life. And as you think about this picture of sin and you think about your sin, see if you can relate to some of the things that David says here. In Psalm 38, verses 1 through 11, it says, A psalm of David to bring to remembrance. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. For my, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. My loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart, of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, 
and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eye, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. We can't say it any better than what the Word of God says. This is what sin does to us. It destroys us. It causes us to go through so much great pain and trouble in our lives. That's why we have the case for forgiveness. That's why we need forgiveness. Not only does it utterly destroy our lives, but ultimately it separates us from God. In Isaiah 59 and 2 it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Sin is a very serious problem we have. And sometimes I think that we forget to think about how serious our sins are. Sometimes we don't feel the full effect of our sin. But this morning as we paint this picture of forgiveness, we need to look at our sin. We need to think about our sin. And we need to reflect just as David did here in Psalm 38 on what it does to us. The second part of the picture we want to paint this morning is the idea of confronting our sin. When we carry such a heavy burden that holds us down, it can cause us to do things that we don't want to do. It can cause us to want to run the other way or to cope with our sin in a different way that God would have us to. Sometimes we run to things of this world so that we can take our mind off of our sin, so that we don't have to feel that heavy burden. But that's not what God would have us to do. Many people stop right here in the idea of confronting their sin. They don't want to go any further. They feel the, the weight of it and they're like, I've had enough. I'm going to go a different way. But don't let your picture stop there. In Psalm 32 and verse 5, we see where David acknowledges his sin. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquities I have not hidden. He brings them before God. In Psalm 51, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. We think about our sin, and it's always there. Perhaps in your life there's a certain sin that continually comes to mind that you've committed. And it's always there, just as David's sin was with him. We have to acknowledge, we have to confront, we have to address our sin. But sometimes we need a little help in doing that. David needed help. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 7, we see where David received the help that he needed to confront the sin that he had committed by having Uriah killed. 
In verse 7 it says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. David was rebuked by Nathan. He said, you are the man. You are the one that has committed this sin. And in verse 13, we see where David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. But it wasn't until Nathan rebuked him that he was ready to confront his sin. Rebuke is something that we all need. But if I ask the question this morning, how many of us like to be rebuked? Not many of us like it. And of course we don't. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, it tells us that no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. No one likes that correction. No one likes that rebuke at the present. It's very painful for us. It's very hard for us. It says, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are ready, to those who have been trained by it. When we think about this idea of being rebuked, and we have this mindset that the world reaffirms that no one should be able to correct me, that I'm aware of my sin and I can handle my own sin, we need to take the words from the psalmist in Psalm 141, where David again says, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness. When the righteous rebukes me, it is kindness. They don't do it to be ugly or to, to be hurtful. But what they're doing is they're trying to get you to confront your sin, to face it, to take that next step in forgiveness. You know you have sin in your life. You need to confront it. He continues in verse 5. It says, And let him rebuke me, and it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Rebuke is like excellent oil that we're anointed with. We all need it. Maybe we should change our perspective on rebuke and what it is and what it does for us. And maybe we need to have the courage and conviction to rebuke those who are in need of rebuke. I'm reminded of what God says in Revelations 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It softens it. Something that we don't naturally like. Something that's painful but when we see what's behind it, it helps us to understand that it's necessary. And it's because God loves us that he rebukes us and he chastens us. It's because we love our children that we rebuke and we chasten them. It's something that we need to do. When we look at this idea of rebuke, there's the idea of open rebuke in front of everybody. And then there's the idea of private rebuke. In Proverbs 27, in verses 5 and 6, it says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, we don't like rebuke, but when we get rebuked publicly, it causes us to react in a lot of different ways. Sometimes pride gets in the way, and we puff up and we, and we bark back. And maybe we think about the passage, well, take the speck out of, or take the board out of your eye before you take the speck out of my eye. And we go to these other places and we misuse Scripture. But open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed, it says. I'm reminded of when Paul withstood Peter to his face in front of everybody when he played the part of the hypocrite in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It was a time the situation called for open rebuke. And there are times for that. But there are also times for rebuke that is not so open. Things that could be handled in a private manner, like in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, where Jesus instructs us. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault and between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. Private rebuke. In that situation where someone has sinned against us and we go to that brother who has sinned against us, it's not something that has to be handled in a public setting, but in a private setting. In all ways, though, I think Galatians 6.1 tells us the kind of attitude or spirit we need to carry about us when we go about rebuking somebody. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, first you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We have to carry that spirit of gentleness when we rebuke. I'm afraid oftentimes when I rebuke my children, when I correct them, it's not in the spirit of gentleness. The older I get, the more I'm able to recognize it, but it takes time to develop that. We have to think about our actions before we go and do them. We don't need to just immediately react all the time. Sometimes we need to consider what we're doing so that we can do things in a godly manner, in a spirit of gentleness. In Psalm 6 and verse 1, it says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. I think we can echo the words of David here. When we receive the rebuke, we don't want it to be in anger. We don't want it to be in hot displeasure. So we need to think about this as we paint this picture of forgiveness. We need to think about confronting our sin. We need to think about the case for forgiveness that lays before us. The next thing we want to paint today is the condition of forgiveness. You might say, well, there's no conditions for forgiveness. God's grace is always there. It's always extended to us. But I would challenge you this morning that there are conditions to forgiveness. Now, God is always ready to forgive. And we can see this in Psalm 86 and 5 where it says, For you, Lord, are good, ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God is always ready to forgive. But there's some things that we must do 
to receive that forgiveness. When we think about what God required of the children of Israel, we can go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And there it reads, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's very important for us to read the words of God in a way that we understand them. If we want to be forgiven, there are conditions that have to be met. One of those conditions is confession. In 1 John 1, in verse 9, it says, If, if, that's a big word in Scripture, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must confess. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 puts it this way. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If we don't confront our sin, if we don't confess our sin, we won't receive Forgiveness. Another condition of forgiveness is repentance. In Luke chapter 17 and verses 3 and 4 it says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We may have read that section of text many times in our life. The world tries to tell us there's this idea of we should just forgive everybody. But here the word of God says that if he repents, forgive him. Interesting to read that. It goes on to say that if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. We need to repent to receive forgiveness of sins. We need to pray to God. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, Simon the sorcerer, when he offered to buy the gift of God with money, and he was told in verse 22, he says, Repent therefore of, your, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. We need to pray. It's a condition of forgiveness. We have to go to Him in prayer, confessing our sins, repenting of our sins. We must be able to forgive others to receive forgiveness ourselves. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15 it says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will, you for, neither will your Father forgive you or forgive your trespasses. It's pretty clear. If we aren't willing to forgive others, if we aren't of that type of heart and mentality to forgive others, to not hold resentment, to not hold grudge, to pardon, to release from guilt, if we aren't willing to do that, 
then God's not willing to forgive us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 puts it this way. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. As I thought about that passage, how did God in Christ forgive me? When we think about the idea of forgiveness and this condition of forgiveness, we don't, we're not forgiven because we're worthy. We're not forgiven because we deserve to be forgiven. Remember, we have sinned. We have transgressed the law of God. We have gone against God. We have separated ourselves from God. We have chose not to do what He said. And when we think about forgiving others, do we only forgive others that are worthy? Do we only forgive others who we think are deserving of forgiveness? Remember how God has forgiven us in Christ. He forgave us when we were not worthy. In Romans 5 and 8 it says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was preparing Himself to be ready to forgive us if we would just be willing to forgive others. It's a condition of forgiveness. Another condition of forgiveness as we paint this picture this morning is we must show love. In Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 through 48, and we're not going to read that whole entire text, but you see a woman there and she is forgiven. But let's read starting in verse 44. It says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. That's the idea of forgiveness. We have to love God with a deep and passionate love, seeking Him, wanting to serve Him, as this woman was doing in washing her feet, washing His feet, and kissing him and anointing his head. Our love for God is at the root of why we want a condition of forgiveness. We have to. A condition of forgiveness is that we must be washed in the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The only way we can obtain forgiveness is by coming into contact with the precious blood of Christ. Peter would tell them in 
Acts 2 and 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have known from many passages of Scripture that the place we come into contact with this blood is in the watery grave of baptism. It is a condition of forgiveness. We are not forgiven of our sins until we have met these conditions. God is ready to forgive and stands ready to forgive. But we will not receive forgiveness if we don't remember this picture of a condition of forgiveness. The last part of our picture this morning, clearing. This is the good part. We've been through the parts that are hard when we consider our sin. The part of owning up to our sin and and, and maybe facing rebuke for our sin. We've talked about the conditions and the kind of heart and mentality we need to have to obtain forgiveness. But now, when we've reached that destination, we have a clearing of ourselves. In Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How truly blessed are we to be able to have our sins forgiven. And not just some of our sins, all of our sins. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, east is this side, west is this way, I believe. As far as the east to the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. He has wiped our slate clean. All the burden, all the unsoundness of our flesh, all the festering and foulness of what we have done is gone. He has released us from guilt. He has pardoned us. He holds no grudge. And He remembers our sins no more. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, he tells us this. It's the good part. It's the part we all desire. But there's still something that remains. Even after we have received this forgiveness of sins, as David says, I acknowledge my sin, but my sin is always before me. And sometimes that brings about sorrow. And we have to contend with this sorrow because of the sin in our life. And what, how, how do we contend with this sorrow? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and verses 10 and 11, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Godly sorrow. That's what I'm after. Not to be regretted. It says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 
You see, there's two kinds of sorrows. There's two kinds of ways we can be sorry. We want to be sorry in a godly way. Because in a godly sorrow, let's look at what it produces. It says in, that, in, in those verses, it says, For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement or strong desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Godly sorrow creates something inside of us that is so very strong. It strengthens us. It helps us to be able to deal with the sorrow of our sin because we can see the great love of God and what's required in forgiveness. And that's the picture we paint this morning. We paint the picture, and I hope that you have an image in your mind of what sin is and what it does. And I hope that you can understand how we need to confront our sin and how we need to help others to confront their sin because it's necessary. And I hope that you understand the conditions of forgiveness and that if you haven't met those conditions of forgiveness, you won't receive it. It will not happen. And I hope that you can see the light at the end, the clearing of yourself. When we're able to to see the goodness of God and how He blesses us by taking away all of our sins and how He blesses us in remembering them no more and how He even helps us to deal with sorrow in our lives because of our sin. It may be this morning that you haven't thought about this picture of forgiveness in this way. Maybe it is you haven't met a condition of forgiveness. We can help you with that this morning. You have to do your part. And God will do His part. Maybe it is we think about forgiving others this morning. And maybe we have fallen short in that realm of our lives. And maybe we need to go to our brother, to him alone, in a private setting and correct that sin in our life. Sin cannot remain. Sin separates us from God, and we need His forgiveness. And I hope that as you go through your life and through the upcoming days, you will remember this picture of forgiveness, and that it will serve you well and bless you in your life. If there's anyone here this morning that has need, we'd ask that you come forward while we stand and while we sing the song Selected.